Uh, let me introduce myself first. My name is Kevin Barra. I am the youth pastor here at Grace Bible Church. Um, I'm over both campuses. Chris Pletcher, you may know who's here. He, um, he's on staff. He's the director of youth ministries at the Southwood campus, and, and I oversee both sides of it. I started here in July, so I've just been here a little while. Um, I was here three years before that, gone for a year, and then started in July. So I'm excited to be here with you. This is my first time in the uh, Saturday night service, so I'm, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Let me pray for us. Read some scripture and we'll, we'll dive in. Father, I praise you that, um, that you have given us your son. You've given us salvation in Christ and there is salvation in no one else. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at your word tonight, we might be able to see clearly your son. We might be able to see clearly your grace. We might be able to see clearly that it is by no work of our own, but only what we receive through you, that we are in right relationship with you. And Lord, if there are some people tonight that uh, have never really heard that message, I pray that that would be the clearest part communicated tonight. For the rest of us, I pray that we would live under your smile and not under your frown, not feeling like we have to earn our way to you. And if you'd be up for it, I ask you to pray for yourself, that your mind would be open, uh, your heart would be ready to hear what God would have for you. Father, we trust you. We love you. Guide our time. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to read the whole passage for us because I feel like as Paul is making his point, he jumps a little bit. So I want to give us a full context and then we'll, then we'll jump in and walk through it. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, starting in verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, That if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Good word. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into, the opportunity, into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. This is, this is a hard word from Paul. And what Paul is doing is he's setting up two different ways in which we can approach God. And as I was thinking about it, what Paul is basically setting up is, is one way that seems absurd and one way that will work. And I was thinking about that there are certain competitions that we would never put against one another. One is this. Bernard Lagat versus Nacho Libre in the mile. Like, we would never put them up. You may not know who Bernard Lagat is. I was a runner in college, so I do. Um, he got the silver medal in the 2004 Olympics um, in, in, the, in the 1500 meters. 
He's run 328 for the 1500 meters, which is about a 345 mile. Nacho Libre. He has a cape. He works out. But in a mile, no shot, right? In a similar way, Peyton versus Pee Wee. There is no way, no matter how diligent Pee Wee works, no matter how hard he pushes, no matter even if he's running sprints at home, Pee Wee doesn't have a shot against Peyton. Am I right? Even if you don't like Peyton, you see that, that play out. Lastly, Phelps versus Floaties. <laughs> now, now, Floaties, she, she is buoyant. She's got some skills. She's got her shades. But here's the problem. Going against Michael Phelps, she's got no shot. She's not going to win. Your money is not going to be bet on her. It's going to be bet on Phelps every day of the week. You notice big paddles. He calls hands. Um, gills behind the ears. Like that. No, I'm just kidding. But the man is huge. And if you were to place one against the other, you would say there is no comparison. Obviously, one is going to win and one is going to lose. That's Paul's point when he's putting a law against grace. Grace is Phelps. Law is floaties. Like there is no comparison when, when pursuing God. And as we are standing before God, if we are thinking that we can earn our way there, if we're thinking that there is enough that we can do to make us in right relationship with God, we are in floaties trying to compete against Phelps. There is no shot. And that's what he lays out in this first section. Read with me again, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. So this new life, this grace, is really about freedom. It's really about your joy. Freedom is this. If If I was to define what freedom in Christ is, it's simply this. It's both the desire and ability to do what God is asking us to do. It is both the desire and ability. And God gives us that in Christ. But here's what Paul lays out first. Why it is absurd to think that you can get there by following the law. Number one, there's slavery and legalism. And how does that play out? First of this, legalism brings more obligations. Read verses 2 and 3. Behold, I, Paul, say that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. See, these are two different ways in which we can approach God. We can either approach Him through obedience of the law, or we can approach Him through His grace in receiving Jesus' death for us. And if we're thinking that we can do a little bit of law and have grace a little bit, what Paul is saying is, you know, that's not possible. It's all or nothing. You're either with Floaties or with Phelps. You're built like Pee Wee or you're built like Peyton. And your approach to God is wrapped up in that. So what they're saying is legalism actually brings more obligations. And so this is the worst two, or buy one, get one free sale you've ever entered. It's not just that you have circumcision. It's that in addition to all of that, you've got 600 laws in which you've got to keep. Not fun. There's washings that you have to do. There's, um, there's festivals and feasts you've got to participate in. I mean, there's 600 laws. Go read Leviticus and Exodus. Meditate on that and fulfill it. That's what Paul is saying. Those are your options. It's an all-or-nothing sale. It's like getting that car. When, you, know, you win that car on prices Right or something like that, and all of a sudden you've got to pay all the taxes on it. Like, it seems like a great idea, but there's all of these obligations that come with it. Number one, it comes to more obligations. Secondly, this. Legalism bring, brings us lower, not higher. Read verse 4. What does it say? 
You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. This is what the beautiful picture that Paul is laying out. Grace has put you so high. Grace in Christ is like making you like Shaq. You're 7'5", you've got a ridiculous wingspan, there's no way that you can lose. Because why? Because we are given Christ. And here's what happens on the cross. Cross is a beautiful, pregnant imagery. What happens is Jesus dies. His perfect obedience is given to you and me who believe. Like, there is no way that we can get something better. And grace has put us so high. See, we, we think that we approach law a little bit differently in our day. We think that grace gets us like a stepladder. It helps us to reach, but we still need our body to get us the rest of the way. And Paul's saying, no, man, you have no shot. You are so low, and you trying to earn your way into God's favor by whatever you're doing. You're falling from grace, from where grace has placed you. Does that mean you're losing your salvation? No. That means you're losing your, what you feel is like your place in front of God. Anything that you do is in trying to earn God's favor has just set you lower. Thirdly, this. Legalism is earning, not receiving. Read verse 5. For we, through the Spirit by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. See, so many people think that they can earn God's favor, and they're living under God's frown, not a smile. They're thinking that by doing certain things, I am earning a better position with God. But look, you and I, we cannot receive a better place than where God has put us. He's put us in Christ. That means Christ's perfect life is given to us. Everything that was given to Christ is given to us. If you're in the Ephesians study, you're seeing everything that we've been given in Christ. There is nothing more that you need. No more beautiful place than you can be than in Christ. Fourthly, this. Here's what happens with legalism. It leads to division. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Why? Well, because it's because of what legalism produces. What is legalism today? It's basically this. It's basically comparison. How does legalism play out today? Well, it's our Bible study is better than your Bible study. Why? Because we're exegetical. Or because we're more relational. You know, and we put up these, these laws, these silly laws. Well, our worship service is better because we do contemporary music. No, no, ours is better. We do traditional music. No, our prayers are better because we read out of a book. No, our prayers are better because we do them extemporaneously. See, the way legalism plays out most clearly in our day is based on comparisons, how we are better. And what ha- ends up happening with comparison? Well, it's simply pride or despair. Pride because of what you receive, despair because you do not have what you want. How's legalism slavery? Simply this. It's based on performance, and it brings pride or despair. It's based on performance. Because if there's a list of rules that you and I got to carry out to make God love us more, what happens if we fail? I mean, honestly, what happens if you don't do it? What happens if you don't do enough? What happens if you haven't repented enough? You see, a right look at God's righteousness should lead to despair. A right look at God's righteousness should lead to despair. That's a hard word. But if you clearly see what God is desiring from us, it should lead you to despair. It led Martin Luther to despair. 
By the way, happy uh, Reformation Day. October 31st is Reformation Day, and so what better way to celebrate than to read something from Luther? But here's what Luther said when he was coming, when he, was, he felt under, really, the, the oppression of God. Here's what it says. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly. I was angry with God. As if, indeed, it is not enough that miserable sinners are lost through original sin, are crushed by every calamity carried out in the Decalogue without having God added pain to pain by the gospel and also having by the gospel threatening us by his righteousness. Nevertheless, I beat importantly upon Paul so that he would answer, what do you want from me? You see, Luther was living in a day in which no one read the Bible. And he went at one point in time uh, to study the word for the first time. He was studying in Latin and Greek. Not many people could read at that point in time. And then he was reading the righteousness of God. And as he read about God's righteousness, he saw it clearly, which is, we don't match up. There's no way that we can earn. And when you look at it through that lens, Luther came to the realization, what am I going to do? I have no hope. And he entered into depression. He's freaking out. He's giving his confessions. And he records as he goes into different confession booths. He's just like, he goes for a little while. He says, hey, I did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Okay. And then he'd leave. And he'd remember something. And he'd go back to the confession booth. And he would repent this, 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 this. To a point where the finally the... Uh, the priest listening to his confession said, look, go do a real sin and then come back. Because he immediately he would just think of something that he was doing wrong and need to confess it once again. Why? Because he rightly understood the righteousness of God. Until finally he read Romans 1, verses 16 through 18. I'll flip over there real quick. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And it was as Luther was beating on this verse, beating on this passage from Paul, that he finally came to the realization, oh, wait a minute. I thought righteousness was based on repentance, not what you received. And I thought, really, he thought righteousness was based on penance, things that he could do to earn from God. And finally he read it, no, no, it's not penance, it's repentance. It's what God has done, it's turning to him and receiving forgiveness. It's, it's nothing that I do, it's simply receiving from God. And as he looked at that verse, and that verse brought light to his eyes, he's, he said, oh my gosh, this changes everything. My relationship with God is no longer based on how good I can be. It's only about how good Jesus is. And it's not about how good, how much work I can do. It's about receiving simply from God. This is revolutionary because no other religion in the world preaches relationship with God this way, right? If you're Muslim, you've got to do different things to get to God. If you're Hindu, you're, you're, you're trying to please the different gods and praying to the different gods and having shrines to try to earn the favor of different gods. Christianity is the only religion which says, you know what, you're never going to be good enough. Really? Yeah, never going to be good enough. What you and I need is a righteousness outside of us. Jesus is. And it's that truth that gripped Martin Luther 
and led him to write 95 things they didn't like about what was going on. Anyway, happy resurrection. Well, so what if, if slavery is in legalism, how do we live in freedom? Paul goes on to describe this. There is freedom in Christ. It was for freedom. It was a release. It was for your joy. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So what does that freedom look like? Well, verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. It's not working. It's waiting. Our acceptance is based on our belief, not our behavior. Now, this is a radically new belief for Christians. It's based on belief, not behavior. See, the cross is pregnant with so many meanings. And it's simply a belief in Christ alone that gives us any forgiveness. See, the cross accomplished so many things. One, it was a demonstration of God's perfect righteousness and perfect wrath being thrown on Jesus. Secondly, it was also a demonstration of his perfect mercy given to us. It was also a demonstration of his victory over Satan's sin, death, and demons. I mean, this cross was so revolutionary. There was so much accomplished on the cross, and not only from the power of sin, but also from the presence of sin. See, Jesus, from his death and his resurrection, accomplished salvation for us. But he also accomplished this, our ability to follow God. See, there's so many things that happen with this, and we wait. What he references in this verse is that we wait for salvation, meaning we don't have to earn it. We know that one day, since we've been justified, one day will we, be glor- we will be glorified. And you'll be able to obey God in every way that you want to, and I'll be able to obey God in every way that I want to. Right now, now we're working on it. But one day, we will be completely able to follow God. Meanwhile, we're working through obedience and sanctification. But secondly, this, our actions. And this is where it plays out hugely. Our actions. Verse 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You see, it's not those things that you do. It's a change in motivation. What do we do now? Well, how do we obey God now? Through love. And love is a much better motivation than anything else. I mean, think about it. It's love that has a guy spend money that he does not have on a, on a rock that no one really needs and gets on one knee and plans the whole thing out. It's love. And it's also love that will cause a father to see his daughter spend money he does not have on a day that is going to pass quickly so much. So why? So he can see the joy in his daughter's face. It's love that Facebook's. It's love that text messages messages that you don't messages that you don't have. It's love that sends a guy running after a girl hour after hour, phone call after phone call, conversation after conversation in pursuit of her. It's love. Love's a great motivator. Love motivated me in college. My my uh, girlfriend at the time, now my wife, was um, in still in high school. I was in college. And it was love that motivated, motivated me week after week to spend the two hours driving every weekend I could to go see her. You see, love is a great motivator. And in Christ, why do we follow? Because we have to? Because we're under his frown? Because God is disappointed with us and we're trying to get our way up? No. Because we love him and he loves us. See, this is the beauty of being in Christ. We follow God not because we're trying to earn, but because He so loved us, we get to love Him back. 
And we are God's delight. We are not a disappointment. We get to love this God. And this changes everything. What is your motivation to follow Jesus? Do you feel that you're under his frown? Do you feel that you've disappointed God? And think about this past week. Think about the sins that you've committed. Think about those things that you have done wrong. Think about the quiet times you missed. Oh, gosh. Are you under God's disappointment? Does he not love you? No. No. Righteousness is a gift. And we get to follow Jesus out of the joy set before us. Just like Jesus followed God for the joy set before him, we also get to follow Jesus for the joy set before us. Why? Because we'll know we'll be saved. By faith in Jesus, we will be saved. Oh, it's going to be joyous. I can't wait. And lastly, this. Don't be deceived. And this is the hardest word that Paul gives to the Galatians. Because some people were leading him in false directions. He says this, verse 7, You were running well. Who hindered you? In other words, who cut you off like in a race? This persuasion did not come from him who calls a little leaven leavens the whole dough. I have confidence in you and in the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even have themselves mutilated. He's basically saying if circumcision is JV, they need to go varsity and go the whole, the whole way. I mean, this is, a, this, is a, this is gross. I was talking with Brian about that. I'm like, Brian... Um, you know, what do you say? What do you read that and say, praise be to God? You know, I mean, what, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. You know, I mean, what, what, what do you do with that verse? And, you know, Paul only wrote one letter that we have to the Galatians. So either they got it or they rejected him. More than likely, they got it. How are you and I approaching God? Is it based on what you can do? Or is it based on what God has done? And the ramifications are big. Are you thinking that you can earn your way to God? Are you thinking that there's something good enough that you can do? Do you have enough quiet times? Do you have enough Bible studies? Is there a, is there a way that you can earn your way to God? The answer is no. No. But because God so loved us, he gave his only son that whoever believed in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. See, God loves first. He is the active agent. We are passive in our beliefs. That means we receive grace. That means we receive love. And it also means what Brian's going to talk about next week is we receive the Spirit. And the Spirit, I'm not going to ever steal all the thunder. The Spirit does this. It's great. It gives you the will and ability to follow God. Augustine said it like this. Love God and do what you like. Because if you truly love God and you're pursuing God with your heart, you will, your heart will turn to do the things God likes to do. But if you're not following out of love, If you're following out of begrudging submission, you're never going to do the things God wants you to do. You know, in marriage, I could make lists, right? I could say, all right, to be a great husband, husband takes wife on date night. Okay. To be a great husband, husband takes out trash. All right, good. To be a great husband, husband vacuums mm, once or twice a week. Okay, good. Take it off the plate. To be a great husband, husband does or dusts. Okay, that's good. That's a really good husband. I don't dust. Okay, good. To be a great husband, I give, I give a little massage, maybe once a week, maybe twice if I'm feeling it. 
or she really needs it, or she's begging, right? Mm, okay, that, that's what I can do as a husband. And I can follow the list, right? You can make whatever list you want, and you can follow the list, but if I promise you, as you make lists, you get robbed of joy. Does Hillary, my wife, does she want me to make a list of things to do to show that I love her? I mean, maybe. No, she doesn't. She doesn't. She wants me to do those things out of the overflow of my heart to show that I love her. Why do I take out the trash? Because I want my baby touching that. (laughs) Why do I vacuum? Well, I want to give her a break and have a nice clean house. I know she appreciates that. Why do I maybe give her a massage and, and, and love her that way? Because I know she gets stressed and I want her to be relaxed and, and at peace. See, we do those things out of love. Not so that we can get something, but because we truly love them. That is how God loves you. That is how we should respond in love to God. Out of our joy. Not because we have to, but because we want to. An application, do you feel that you are God's disappointment or God's delight? Do you feel like there's something you've done this week or something you did last month or, you know, that you are really disappointing God? You're not. You're not. There is nothing that you can do in which God would go, are they ever going to get it? Come on. It's not. Not going to happen. And where do you most likely find yourself to be a legalist? Let me press on some of those. Can someone with tattoos love Jesus? Good God, can they? Yes. What about with really bad piercings everywhere? Yeah. Can they come into your house? Yeah. See, we have all of our little legalisms in different ways. Can someone be a longhorn and love Jesus? Yes, they can. But we have all of our little legalisms, all of our little expectations of of what it looks to line up and be a good Christian. Lastly, this. This is the best illustration I have. I don't know where some of you are. But I think some of us, when we approach God, we, uh, we, we feel like that we are under God's disappointment. I can tell you most of my life, I felt like I've disappointed God in one way or another. And... I think the best illustration of this is that we are walking, and that's what Paul uses in Ephesians, that we are walking with God. And how do you begin to walk? Well, how does a two-year-old begin to walk? We saw a couple of them here earlier. Well, what happens first is that the kid just starts to stand up on those wobbly little legs, right? And what do parents not do is that, that child is starting to stand and, and, and on those wobbly little legs. Stupid kid, you know, and fall back over. No, we, we don't do that. We also don't say once the kid like starts standing up, we don't sit there and mock him and go, "Are you going to wobble and fall?" You know, we don't we don't do those things either, right? What do we do? As they start standing on those little wobbly legs, we celebrate the stand. As those little kids start taking little steps forward, we celebrate the steps. Am I right? And you see parents going, whoa, they stood. They're holding on the coffee table. Ah, fall back down. I mean, but what does the kid need? The kid needs encouragement. But the kid needs to grow, right? The kid needs better proportions on the head, you know? I mean, the whole body needs to grow. Everything needs to grow. Why? Because it's through growth and maturity that this kid will actually walk and do what it needs to do with his legs. The same thing is what you and I need with God.
we need to grow. And as we grow in the Spirit, as we grow following Jesus, we will be able to walk better. Perfectly? No. But we will be able to walk better. What you and I need are simply to grow, simply to follow, simply to obey, follow the Spirit's leading in our heart, leading in our life. And we'll do those things that God is asking us to do. You are under God's smile. You are God's delight. So stand and walk in freedom. Last story. I played basketball growing up. And I had two coaches in particular that were basically the hard yelling coaches. right? And I know that I just got petrified completely petrified every game. And I couldn't even play. I couldn't even dribble the ball. I just, I, was, I just got freaked out because of it. And I completely failed because I always felt like I was under their disappointment. That is not how God is. He loves you. He stuck you in Christ. He's given you every spiritual blessing. He's giving you everything that you need because he loves you that much. You're in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for tonight. Lord, I pray that we would pursue you and walk to you because we have been given everything in grace, because we are under your smile, because you love us so much. And Lord, I know there's some of us in here that feel like we've we got to earn our way to you. Help show us that that is pointless and that will never happen. But Father, you loved us so much that you gave us your Son, to forgive us and help us walk in newness of life. And there may be some of you here that have never put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. I pray that you would see that Jesus died completely and fully for you because he loves you and that you can start a new life with them. And if you desire, you can simply pray a prayer like this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for every one of my sins. If you pray that prayer, I'd appreciate it if you'd come talk to Eddie, um, one, of the, one of the elders, or me. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we would follow you out of joy, follow you out of love, because you have given us everything that we need in Christ. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.